our topic, the death and epitaph, epitaph of Western civilization. And our text will be Ecclesiastes 8.10. Uh, it's kind of a topical sermon. This is my springboard, but you'll understand why. And uh, due to the events in Ukraine, uh, satanic uh, leader of Russia uh, uh, in an unjust war, uh, it's good to view these more political topics once in a while. And here's our text, Ecclesiastes 8.10. Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. <clears throat> in this passage we have Solomon describing the total vanity <clears throat> of the man who, of course, had been part of the people of God. He'd been part of the visible church, who was wicked, though, and departed from the truth. Solomon looks back at the death and burial of such a person and views their complete existence as total vanity. That is, as a meaningless and essentially purposeless, useless existence. Now, the general view of commentators is that the wicked that are buried are political or religious leaders. They had come and gone from the place of the holy, whether it Jerusalem or some say the seat of judgment or leadership. These are men who have apostatized. They've left behind the holy place. They are wicked and self-serving. But the day will come when they die. And they are buried with great pomp and ceremony. When they were alive, they lived in great splendor. And when they die, they are buried with great magnificence. But the memory of them is forgotten and they go down into hell. They thirsted after glory and worldly greatness. But now they are not only dead and suffering in hell, but are forgotten. And of course, those who are not forgotten are despised. Stalin, Hitler, Chairman Mao. Now, there are people that, that are sick, that are perverted, that admire such people, uh, but not many. They're despised. They're hated. Their glory and exaltation fades away with the dust of death. All is vanity for such people. And you know how the book ends. You know, we have to fear the Lord and serve him and obey his commandments. Funerals are a good place to meditate on our lives. And the purpose of life in general. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? The phrase, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, applies to everyone sooner or later. And those words come from the Episcopal prayer book. They come from ancient liturgy for funerals. Life is short. Death is long. Will our death be, a, death be a time for others to see a life of vanity? Or will our lives have meaning because we serve Christ? And that's the ultimate question. Now I want to take our text and apply it, <coughs> its basic meaning and lesson to Western civilization and culture. There's been a deep erosion of the Christian basis of Western culture, leading to a crisis of purpose, meaning, and ethical development. In the early days, secular humanism used to be optimistic and utopian, whereas today it is largely pessimistic and totally hedonistic and narcissistic and even, for many, nihilistic. That's what punk rock was all about. We want to examine what happened and the original problem. We want to note how the <clears throat> counterculture of the 1960s 
not only failed to address the real problem, but made it even worse. And then we want to meditate on the Christian solution to the current crisis. So let's look at the rise of what we call optimistic humanism. The rise of the Renaissance, the rise of the Enlightenment. Humanism was optimistic. It was very forward-thinking. It was very, uh, it thought that uh, the abandonment of Christianity and the, the use of reason would solve all man's problems. The rise of optimistic humanism is a shift away from Christendom. begins in the Renaissance, which lasted. <coughs> which looked back to the pagan humanism of the ancient Greeks for inspiration and guidance. Instead of looking at the Bible, and we understand the Roman Catholic Church was corrupt, and I understand that, but instead of looking at the Bible and looking to Christ and God, they looked to the ancient pagan Greeks. Now, Renaissance is the term customarily applied to designate a cultural movement that began in Italy in the middle of the 14th century and spread throughout the rest of Europe. The term Renaissance is the one long accepted by secular historians because it involved a disparagement of the Middle Ages, or the medieval era, which has come to be called the Dark Ages. That is a period in which culture needed to be awakened from the darkness and ignorance. So you can see there's a bias in the name itself, a secular bias, a pagan bias. The name Renaissance came from the French scholars, and this name spread throughout the world's academia. The period is considered a recovery of philosophy and a restoration of Greek letters. It was regarded as a new discovery of man and a new discovery of this world. It was considered a revival of art, literature, philosophy. The men of the Renaissance held a great confidence in men's powers and looked to classical excellence. Their presupposition was autonomous human reason and the greatness of the classical period of Greece. Now, generally speaking, the, the era is dated from around 1350 to 1600. And then, of course, the Enlightenment will take over, which is just a continuation of this idea. It spread from Italy to France and then England. It came about due to a discovery of many ancient manuscripts, and it made the heritage of Greece and Rome available to a wide audience. And, of course, this would be a scholarly audience back then. The invention of the printing press in the late 15th century helped a great deal. <clears throat> Men of the Renaissance were involved in a love of glory and looked to the concept of the universal man. And the various sects of Greek philosophy were reborn during the Renaissance. There was a great revival of Aristotelianism based directly on the Greek texts. There was also a revival of Platonism, Stoicism, Epicureanism, and Skepticism. The religious factionalism between Romanism and the Protestant Reformation contributed to a distrust of dogmatism and fanaticism. So it's a look away from the church, it's a look away from God, it's a look away from God in the Bible to man as the solution. Man will solve his own problems. Man will save himself. And man will develop a great culture. The use of arbitrary authority and the widespread immorality among the papal church clergy greatly contributed to this mistrust. Now, I don't have the time because I'm going to keep this short, but uh, a lot of the problems arose because the Catholic Church became so corrupt and so immoral and so heretical, and so you have a reaction of intellectuals against the Catholic Church. But instead of embracing the Protestant Reformation, which is what they should have done, they reacted against all religion which is the mistake that they make. The shift to human autonomy, human reason, and pagan philosophy was in large part a reaction to apostate Christianity. The Roman Catholic Church's humanism pushed unbelievers toward a more consistent humanism. Coupled with the skepticism and shift toward pagan classical philosophy was a reception of the occult. Not only the occultic practices of the Egyptians and Chaldeans were studied and practiced, praised, but also the Hermetic writings and the Jewish Kabbalah. There was a revival of mysticism, magic, mystical alchemy, and witchcraft, and a great rise in immorality during this period. And, of course, the Renaissance was funded uh, by very rich, corrupt religious and political leaders in Italy, 
the Borgias, for example, were basically a, like of the mafia who had people assassinated and were extremely wicked. And they funded these great artists. They funded these sculptures. They funded these great works of art. And uh, yes, there were great achievements in art. We don't deny that. But we'll talk about that in a moment. That's basically related to surface knowledge, and that's not that important to culture in, in the sense that they're making it. During the 15th century, um, excuse me, during the 5th century BC, <clears throat> there was a political, uh, a philosophical shift toward autonomous reason as the ultimate source of truth, either in addition to or away from the old gods in ancient Greece. In addition, the Renaissance looked at the achievements in art, sculpture, and architecture and civil institutions among the Greeks as the high point of the classical world that should be emulated. It is well known that the Greek concept of culture cast a long shadow over the Roman Empire. The Romans imitated the architecture of the Greek Greeks, they imitated the art of the Greeks, the sculpture of the Greeks, and many Greek institutions. It, the Greeks were considered the high point of pagan classical civilization. Democracy comes from Greece. Of course, it was a pure democracy, which is terrible. And of course, uh, uh, that beautiful architecture and those beautiful buildings and so forth. But man is more than architecture and art. The Renaissance exhibited a whole, a bold, confident phase of humanism. It was during this time that the word humanist was coined. They held to the idea that man is the measure of all things. They regarded themselves as the heirs and executors of the classical heritage. They believed the human intellect could achieve a paradise on earth. Now, it is true that some of the early humanists, what are called humanists, saw no contradiction between what they were doing their humanistic vision, and the Christian faith. People like Erasmus, who remained loyal to the Roman Catholic Church, and yet he gave us the Textus Receptus. He gave us Greek manuscripts and, and uh, went to the original text and so forth. Uh, he rejected justification by faith alone in the Protestant Reformation, so he was uh, a bad guy, but he, he was still a humanist who was friendly to the Roman Catholic Church. They followed the Roman Catholic ideas where there are two spheres of truth, one spiritual and the other of this world. And uh, I should have looked this up. Francis Schaeffer's got a bunch of really good stuff on this. This two-step theory of truth where you can have uh, the study of nature and the study of logic and the study of all these things and have this lower level of truth. And then you can have spiritual truth, a higher level, which comes from Revelation. And, of course, they, the Catholics would say the church. And these things can even contradict each other, but they're both regarded as true. Um, as where Van Til would say, and the Reformed faith would say, that you need the ontological triune God of Scripture, you need the Holy Scriptures and the presuppositions therein to even have a valid epistemology, metaphysics and ethics, and so forth, and ontology. <clears throat> Therefore, the sphere of autonomous human reason was fully legitimate in their mind, even if it contradicted the spiritual realm. And this led to autonomous human reason being exalted over divine revelation. So a, re a wedge was driven between reason and authority. And we could say biblical authority. The spirit of skepticism, criticism, and the exaltation of fallen man as expressed in the philosophy, literature, art, and architecture of classical antiquity that led to the rejection of Christianity and divine revelation continued and became more consistent in the period of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment should be viewed as a continuation of the Renaissance becoming more epistemologically self-consistent with itself and more uh, clearly anti-biblical and anti-Christian. While many humanists during the Renaissance would often show some respect to Christendom or would view their thinking as adding on to the old order, the Enlightenment developed into a full-blown paganism. From British empiricism, to French and German rationalism, truth was something only discoverable by autonomous man. And here, here's an example of that. Uh, there's been these lawsuits. This happened probably 20 years ago. These lawsuits where they're trying to get what's called intelligent design taught alongside of evolution in the public schools. 
And their argument is, uh, well, creative design is supported by science. And if you look at the fossil record, it's obvious that evolution, as they propose it, never occurred. And if you look at the complexity of cells and DNA and RNA and all these things, it's obvious that evolution is impossible. So why not teach intelligent design? Well, how was that refuted? Well, it was refuted by saying, well, it's not scientific. Because in their presupposition, only autonomous man can discover truth. It can't come from divine authority. So a priori, before even the facts are considered, the Bible is ruled out of bounds and creation ex nihilo and intelligent design is ruled out of bounds from the very beginning. The philosophs viewed the era of Christendom as an era of darkness and were willing to deny and reject anything their little brains could not fully fathom. So what happened? Trinitarianism was rejected for Unitarianism because Trinitarianism was considered irrational. Is it hard to understand? Yes. Is it perhaps above, uh, in a sense, what our finite reason can understand fully? And the answer is yes. But it's taught, it's not irrational, but it's taught in Scripture and we have to submit to it. But it was rejected for Unitarianism. And then Unitarianism, we had deism. As more became, man became bolder in the rejection of revelation, deism gave way to atheism. Deism is this idea. Well, yeah, God created the universe, and they're all natural laws created by God. However, God stepped back from the universe. He lets everything continue as it was in the creation. He doesn't interfere. There is no divine providence. There is no interference in creation. Uh, there is no interference. There is no miracles. So, yeah, there is a God, but he doesn't have anything to do with us. We're on our own. And the idea of that was God, like somebody creating a clock that can run on its own. And then they can step back from the clock and let it run. That's deism. And that was very popular in the colonial era in America. And there were deists who helped write the Constitution. The secular basis of Western culture, excuse me, the Christian basis of Western culture was rejected for a secular order which relished human autonomy and hated biblical authority. The dismissal of Christianity is viewed as necessary for cultural advance. And the decline of Christianity was welcomed as a prerequisite of utopia. And if you watch atheists on YouTube and agnostics and people who consider themselves uh, secular humanists, and uh, they all uh, assume that the way to, the path to freedom and liberty is to reject God and reject Christ, reject the Bible, and embrace human autonomy. They all they all assume that ignoring the fact that 100 million people were murdered by secular humanists in the 20th century uh, precisely because of those beliefs. While these steps into apostasy and unbelief were radical and arrogant, they were conservative compared to what occurred in the 19th century. Unitarians and deists still believed in the God of some kind and still believed that ethics were something fixed or absolute. Okay, and they would talk about natural law. You know, laws exist out there in nature, and we have to discover those laws, and these are fixed laws. And if you, that's one of some of the defects of the Constitution is that they were influenced by Locke and these kind of things. No, we need biblical law, we need revealed law, because we're sinners, and even if we could discover uh, these things out in nature, we're fallen and we can't be trusted. They spoke of natural law. And like the ancient Greeks, sought ethical absolutes and natural laws existing out there somewhere. A realm of ideals. But with the 19th century, these things, <coughs> three things occurred that completely swept away the old Christian world and life view. The first was the theory of uni uniformitarianism. That posited a very ancient earth, millions upon millions of years old, now it's billions upon billions. And the universe is said to be 13 trillion, is it 13 and a half trillion years old? The universe is said to be <clears throat> Unitarianism, instead of the biblical view, which is catastrophism. Such a view contradicted the biblical record and paved the way for evolution. The second was an arrogant uh, astronomy and physics, which presupposed a purely mechanistic concept of the universe. The basic idea is that if, if we can explain it, somehow we do not need God as, a, as the cause of everything. In other words, if, there, if we can discover physical laws, uh, this idea that the universe is like a clock that runs itself, we don't need God. And it's a very arrogant, stupid way of thinking. And then third, 
and I think it's the most important, is macroevolutionary theory came up with a supposedly scientific explanation of how the universe came into being and how all species evolved from single-celled organisms that evolved from water, dirt, and sunshine over billions and billions of years. In other words, we don't need God at all. You don't need deism. You don't need Unitarianism. You don't need the old heretical views of Christianity. Uh, you don't need the old heresies. We can just all be atheists and believe in a macroevolution. The, the universe created itself. There was a Big Bang, and uh, the universe uh, evolved into galaxies and planets and solar systems somehow uh, on its own, and then out of that came organic life. Instead of creation ex nihilo, that is out of nothing by God, there was a cosmic inorganic evolution and then a second stage of biological organic evolution. Both of these uh, views, of course, are absurd, impossible, and unscientific and easy to disprove. And the best person I've ever heard talk about this is R.C. Sproul. I don't know if he does it in a book, but in interviews. So you had what they call a singularity, this little tiny thing where all the, art of, all the energy and particles and everything, the whole universe is in this little, this little thing. It's either a speck or it's a ping pong ball size thing. And then that, that explodes for some reason. Well, where did, the, where did the little ball come from? And why did it explode? <laughs> First of all, where did it come from? Why is it even there? You know, nobody seems to ask that question. What is it doing there? How, if it exploded, why didn't it explode before? And then that exploded. And then, of course, if you get a big explosion, why in the world would that form itself into nice organized galaxies that rotate and that have a nice shape? And you get solar systems with stars and planets. Uh, the, you know, that's, that's basically impossible. An explosion uh, in order, you know, but anyway, I'm not going to go into that, but it's just, it's absurd. It's totally ridiculous. Such views lead directly to atheistic naturalism or secular humanism, and both views have dire consequences for mankind. And let us look at some of the consequences. And I just want to say that in the 19th century, the reason this really took over and we got you know, churches abandoned the Bible and embraced liberalism and modernism and so forth, people had a faith in science. People believed that science was objective and that science really discovered truth. And, the, and I'm going to discuss this in a minute, but theor, the, if you talk about science in, in strictly empirical terms of doing experiments that are repeatable and you get the same results over and over and over again, for example, if you blindfold a cat for, let's say, 60 days, the cat will go blind. And if you do that, every time the cat goes blind, then you can come to a conclusion, and that's, that's a scientific experiment that results in a conclusion. I, I hate to use a cruel example, but uh, theoretical science where they're talking about things that they have not observed at all, they're trying to reason backward and they come up with speculative theories, that's really not scientific at all. But people believe that science was objective in truth, and so they abandon the Bible for, for complete nonsense, for complete non-scientific. Uh, uh, Darwin's evolutionary theory is a complete farce, and it's so full of holes it's not even funny. It was refuted by Hodge back then. But anyway, first, let's look at some of the consequences. By first, by taking the infinite personal God out of the picture. Man is said to be completely in charge of human evolution and social progress. Julian Huxley, the famous atheist, the famous uh, macroevolutionary apologist, said this, quote, Today in 20th century man, the evolutionary process is at least becoming conscious of itself. Human knowledge worked over by human imagination is seen as the basis to human understanding and belief and the ultimate guide to human progress. That's from a book that came out in 1961 that he was the editor of called The Humanist Frame. The humanist became anti-Christian zealots. The worship of God was replaced by the worship of man. And that I, I couldn't find it, but the humanist manifesto, I think it's the first one, or it could be the second one. Uh, we do not need, it says right in there, we don't need a savior, man can save himself. That's in the Humanist Manifesto. The worship of God was replaced by the worship of man. Man's problems could be solved by man using reason, intellect, science to look for truth or meaning outside of man in an infinite personal God only hindered social and material progress. 
And here's Huxley once again regarding religion. This is what Huxley said. And keep in mind, he's very anti-Christian. Quote, religion of some sort is probably necessary. Instead of worshiping supernatural rulers, it will sanctify the higher manifestations of human nature in art and love, in intellectual comprehension and aspiring adoration. End of quote. And it's funny, there's humanistic churches where a bunch of atheists get together and they sing humanistic hymns. I'm not kidding. And of course, Huxley and, and people would actually do that too. Well, let's look at four pillars of optimistic humanism and examine them and see why they're so full of baloney. <clears throat> Before we uh, look into the Christian critique, we'll have some critique mixed in here. We want to note the things that form their presuppositions and basic worldview. First, they believe in autonomous human reason as a source of truth and meaning. Now, we believe in logic. We believe in you know, God-created logic. We believe that reason exists. We believe in mathematics. We believe that um, something can't be the opposite of itself at the same time. That's obvious. However, uh, reason must be subjected to the Word of God because we have to have the proper axioms for reason to work properly. We already have serious problems with this idea, which is commonly accepted uh, without analysis. Number one, reason or logic is simply a process for analyzing data. It cannot determine one's first principle or axiom or starting point. Okay, what is your presupposition? What is your first principle? What is your axiom? What is your starting point? If the starting point is bad or wrong or untrue, then flawless logic will produce incorrect results every single time. And the illustration that Van Til uses is, yeah, you've got this really nice saw, but there's something wrong with the way the saw blade is set up. So whenever you use the saw, it always cuts in a bad direction. It always cuts crooked. It doesn't, it doesn't cut correctly. And it's the same here. If you have the wrong axiom, I don't care how great your logic is, you're going to come to the wrong conclusions. In fact, the wrong starting point will control one's use of reason to the point that the results of the rational process will always be wrong. And this point is easy to see in how evolutionary theory is taught and defended in our day. Macroevolutionary theory is assumed as true. It's a theory, but it's assumed as absolutely true. It's assumed as already being proven. And then when people come to the fossil record, or the complexity of cells, and all the empirical uh, supposed facts are forced into a macroevolutionary mold. And I studied evolution extensively in college. I took courses on it from pagans, obviously. I always went to a pagan school. I went to a Christian college one year, and when I saw how unchristian it was, I said, what's the point of giving these people my money? Um, the fossil record uh, clearly teaches creation. It does not show evolutionary process. It doesn't, there should be millions of species leading up to new species. They're, they're, they're not there. There's nothing there. You go from trilobites to this, to this, to this. Um, there's, there's no evidence of evolution whatsoever. But what they do is that let, there's a bird, let's say, that has some scales on it and some feathers in a fossil. And because of their presuppositions, they'll say, well, there's proof of the uh, intermediate species. Couldn't have God created a bird like that? Why would it be in an intermediate species? But I'm just saying, you know, if you study evolution and you do it objectively, it's, it's, a, it's in crisis. Number two, men are complex creatures, not robots or computers. They have psychological motivations and, and built-in assumptions from their youth and training that influence their use of reason. Consequently, they rationalize the worldview they possess and are not purely objective or rational in their analysis of reality. And anybody who's been in a, in a debate with the, with the heathen uh, can see that very easily. And then number three, even, even Christians, you know. Well, I, don't, I actually had, well, I used to debate charismatics about the continuation of gifts and so forth. I don't care what the Bible says. I saw a miracle. Then number three, 
The very idea of reason as a source of truth contradicts the secular humanist's own world and life view, and therefore is itself irrational. In a purely materialistic or chance universe, where everything comes about arbitrarily, there's an explosion of atoms floating randomly in the void, and somehow they organize themselves in the galaxies and planets and stars and quasars and all these things, and black holes. Uh, that just kind of happened by chance. In the chance universe, a, ch a universe of pure contingency, unchanging laws of logic do not really exist. A cosmic order of pure chance or contingency does not produce unchanging laws. The secular humanist must presuppose the biblical concept of reality in order to criticize the biblical concept of reality. And Van Til would speak about, it's like a father, uh, a son sitting on his father's lap in order to slap his face. If you're going to criticize the Christian world and life view, if you're going to argue for ethics and meaning and all those kind of things that we treasure that are part of the biblical world and life view, you have to assume the Christian world and life view, you have to steal from the Christian world and life view to do so. In fact, if the materialistic atheistic concept of reality is true, then human thinking and cognition is only the epiphenomenon of electrochemical responses and it's not even real. You would have determinism. All their talk of love, meaning, and community is inconsistent and meaningless nonsense. And who's really the best in this is of Greg Bonson, when he'd be in a debate with an atheist. And people would be all aware the Vietnam War is wrong. It's wrong to kill little children. Well, based on your world and life view, why? Now, we know, because we're created in the image of God, and we have the work of the law written on our hearts, we know that that's wrong, obviously. So we have an instant reaction of horror against such thinking that, that you know, killing people is, is wrong and all these kind of things. But according to their worldview, you can't make that argument. You know, and of course, they murder babies. They murder babies. And they, what they do is they, they just redefine a baby as a, an unborn baby as a non-human. The communist, the, you know, the, the kulaks, the, the non-communist is not a human and we can kill them and so forth. Second. They believe in social progress of the progressive exaltation of mankind over time if men follow human autonomy, reason, and science. So the post-millennial hope of Christianity was secularized by, during the Enlightenment. The application of reason and science to all areas of life was assumed to be the salvation of man. So they took a Christian concept and they secularized it. And that's part of utopianism. Now, we believe the progressive, if you're post-millennial anyway, the progressive spread of the gospel, the leavening of the world by the gospel, and the Holy Spirit accompanying the gospel in history. And there'll be progress over time, ethically uh, and spiritually over time, due to the work of the gospel, the, the gospel and the Holy Spirit in history. They took that and they secularized it. Man will save himself by the use of logic and reason over time. This optimistic utopian concept of progress through human Human progress can be seen in television shows such as Star Trek, which, and I'm talking about the original Star Trek in the 19th, well, all of them, you know, they portray a future where there's no more racism, there's no more war, there's no more, well, there's war with aliens, but humankind is all one. There's one world government and everybody's living in peace. There's no hunger, there's no poverty, uh, disease has been conquered, human science and human reason have conquered all, and the problems are out there with aliens, the Klingons and so forth. And the Romulans, you know, the problems are not humans. It's like they've eradicated total depravity. They've eradicated original sin in mankind. Uh, and, and that's completely a fantasy. Although, if you watch Star Trek, it, you know, there's even a scene where they're on a planet and they're watching these uh, aliens sacrificing other humans to their god, their false god. And Bones turns to Spock and says, oh, they don't believe in absolutes. You would never see that in a show today, because nobody believes in absolutes unless you're a Christian or a theist, at least. <clears throat> this view was supposedly supported by evolutionary theory, which took the idea that nature was marching forward inevitably into higher, better, more advanced forms of life, and they applied it to sociology and politics. Social evolutionary theory. And of course, it was used in a very racist way in the late 1800s and the early 20th century. The whites were the most socially advanced because they were the most evolved. Marxism, 
Marxism was a view based on evolution that saw political and economic advances as fixed laws. Feudalism evolved into capitalism. Capitalism would evolve into socialism or communism. This belief in social advance as inevitable was based on the concept of man as malleable and changing. It denied the fall of man into sin and the Christian concepts of total depravity. Men need to be saved by Christ. They need to be saved. They need to have a regenerated heart. They need to be changed from the inside out. They need to be uh, made uh, by the Holy Spirit, cause them to progressively become more and more obedient to the Word of God and to Christian ethics, the biblical ethics. That's the solution, not this worship of man. And it also confused technological advance with a moral advance. It was an ideology that was not supported by empirical evidence whatsoever. And this view would be thrown into doubt in crisis due to the horrifying events of the 20th century. World War One, World War Two. well, there's a 1905 Russia and Japan, World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, uh, the slaughter of, of 50, 60 million people by Chairman Mao, the slaughter of 30 million people by Stalin, uh, what Hitler did, and so forth. It was thrown into crisis because these people were following secular humanism, their, their version of secular humanism. The secular humanistic love affair with classical culture and the achievements of artists, philosophers, architects, etc., is understandable, for these things are the best that fallen man has to offer. Remember when we looked at the temptation of Christ in the last few weeks? Satan takes Jesus up on a mountain, he shows him the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. Look at this! Look at the Pantheon in Greece, the amazing architecture. Now, I've watched documentaries on it, it's amazing. You know, the lines aren't actually straight because they did it by eye. They did it so when you looked at it, if you made the line straight, it wouldn't look good from a distance. By making the, it slightly curved up and then down, the Pantheon, uh, it causes an, an illusion. So when you look at it, it actually looks more perfect. But anyway, even though unbelievers are fallen and depraved and they have not, they have not, uh, and they have lost true righteousness, not, true knowledge, Spiritual, spiritual, spiritual knowledge and holiness. They still have the image of God in the in the broader sense. Francis Schaeffer called this the mannishness of man. They're still men. They still have the image of God in the broad sense. They must live and function in the universe that God has created. So you can be an atheist. You can believe in total anarchy. You can be the a, a nihilist. But when you go rock climbing. You better rock climb as a Christian. You better assume the reality that God has created. Same thing when you design an engine or a car or you build a bridge. You have to follow the laws that God has made or you will have disaster. Even though they are spiritually blind and they cannot really justify their epistemology or ethics, they do have a surface or coincidental knowledge of reality and thus can produce great works of art amazing and beautiful architecture, incredible inventions, and works of technology. In fact, most of the achievements in technology and science and art and architecture have been made by total heathen swine. Because it, you don't have to be an ethical person, you don't have to have spiritual enlightenment to design a good car or to design a good program on a computer. They have functional or coincidental knowledge of reality. So yes, they can have great achievements in art and science and technology. The problem that secular humanists have, and most people who buy into their utopianism, leftists, communists, socialists, democrats, statists, fascists, is that one must not confuse the attainments of surface knowledge with progress in morality or spirituality or genuine loving community. You can be a rabid homosexual who goes to bathhouses every night and has sex with 10 men, and you can be a great artist. I mean, the greatest musicians and the greatest writers and artists have been total heathen and ungodly, wicked people. John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, 
Miles Davis, in the art, you know, Picasso. These were not Christians, and yet they produced incredible works of art. The world system is outwardly glorious, and it is wonderful to behold with the eyes. But it is not a godly or righteous kingdom, quite the contrary. Now, we're going to, the Bible says we'll inherit these achievements in science and technology. The Christians will inherit this stuff. But you don't have to be a Christian to do heart surgery. You don't have to be a Christian to develop a beautiful car, an amazing car, or a beautiful uh, work of art, or, or a nice bridge, or engineering. It is surface knowledge. It is coincidental knowledge. But it doesn't get to the heart of meaning of reality. People confuse progress in technology with progress in truth, ethics, and meaning. Don't get the two confused. Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. The beautiful buildings, the beautiful bridges. The Romans were using concrete. And they built amazing buildings. The largest concrete dome was built in Rome. It's still there. It's still standing. It's, it's like 2,000 years old. They're two completely different things. One can be a, a great composer, musician, architect, designer, engineer, artist, sculptor, car designer, etc., and be a wicked, immoral, spiritually satanic degenerate. Look at the leader of Facebook, the creator of Facebook. Look at the Twitter, <laughs> all these things. These people are evil people. This is obvious when we look at modern art, music, and technology. The kingdom of Christ, however, gets to the heart of issues, to meaning, true meaning, true ethics, true salvation. It brings peace, joy, true enlightenment, and self-law as converted men and women submit to the Bible and the moral law. If you want to know the why, if you want to know the purpose of life, if you want to know the origin of life, if you want to know why are we here and where are we going, you have to go to Christ and the Bible. Beautiful works of art, music, and architecture are total vanity if men do not glorify God. What is the point of being Jim Morrison, John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, or Janis Joplin if you die and go to hell? What's the point? What's the point of being Picasso if one points men away from Christ and goes to hell? Classical culture was evil and degenerate because they use their gifts to give themselves over to idolatry and sin. Greece and Rome had chattel slavery and all sorts of unjust laws. And there, were there was totalitarianism. Did they make incredible aqueducts and incredible architecture and they had giant amphitheaters and so forth? Yes, that's wonderful. But don't confuse that with moral progress. Don't confuse that with the kingdom of God. Don't confuse that with genuine progress of mankind. Yeah, it's nice to have computers. It's nice to have these things. It, it can help mankind economically. But if you don't follow God and you become an idolater, judgment will come. And this idea, well, you know, we're all enlightened now. War's over. Oh, it is? Tell Vladimir Putin that satanic uh, genital wart on Satan's rectum. Classical culture was evil and degenerate. Third, they believe that science will inevitably lead to great human progress and regard it as a much better alternative to Christianity and the Bible. Men will use science, and they will appeal to experts on various scientific field to determine what is good for mankind and what one should regard as ethical and unethical. Julian Huxley, the Roman Catholic evolutionist, Tilhard de Chardin. Tilhard de Chardin, he's French. I had to read, I went to a Roman Catholic high school, we had to read his crap. And Bertrand Russell, all agreed that science is not neutral or is not simply a study of facts through experimentation, but can speak directly to moral choice. And they have to say that. Otherwise, they'd be nihilists. 
Once one denies any idea of Christ transcendent moral absolutes, as well as divine revelation to mankind, then one must either become a nihilist, in other words, there is no meaning, there is no ethics, do what you want, or one must seek ethical norms in nature or in the mind of man. Science and the supposed experts will tell us what to think, and they will tell us how to act, and even what is acceptable to say. We're seeing that today. You know, if, if somebody is a man and he thinks he's a woman and he cuts off his thing and he uh, takes the hormones for a few years, we're supposed to accept that as a true woman. And if we don't say that it is a woman, we're considered being unethical and evil. Even though that person is a sick pervert who uh, needs counseling. They don't need to go to a surgeon. They need to go to a biblical counselor. In the Soviet Union, people who disagreed with Marxism and statism were placed under psychological therapy. They were sent to, they, they were sent to psychological therapy centers. China, these, the, uh, the Muslims, and I'm not in favor of Islam, but the Muslims are sent to, to re-education camps, which are psychological therapy. The liberals on the Supreme Court, in making moral determinations, will seek guidance on things like marriage and human sexuality from university-trained, of course, they're all atheists, psychiatrists and psychologists. And that's for them, that's truth, because it's scientific and it's autonomous. And I don't have the time to go into it, but you can simply look at these so-called objective scientists, and they merely reflect whatever the culture happens to think. When homosexuality, when our culture w was much more Christian than it is now, homosexuality and cross-dressing and transvestitism and all these things was viewed as a degenerate, uh, they called it a mental illness. It was considered disgusting. Now, we should just call it what it is. It's sin. It's evil. It's wickedness. But they called it uh, as something evil. Then the homosexual community put pressure upon them, and then our culture changed, and now it's morally great. And if you oppose it, you're the one who's mentally ill. Science, in the sense of repeatable experiments that prove if A, then B, are very useful. For once again, they are dealing with surface or coincidental knowledge. But once we go into theoretical or speculative science, such as how the universe came into being, or does man have a human soul, or is a machine made out of meat with only electrochemical responses, physically determined electrochemical responses, then the findings are always wrong and are a form of rebellion against God. Remember that. Because people who don't think, they go, well, how could you believe Christianity is true? Look at all the wonderful achievements of science. That's not significant. Men accumulate knowledge over time. They develop, an, you know, you develop an engine for a car in the 1800s, in the late 1800s. And then you progressively make that better and better and better. For example, the original Honda that had a 1.5 liter... Uh, I think it had 98 horsepower. The 1.5 liter Honda engine now produces over 200 horsepower. And that's improvements in technology. But that doesn't mean that the guy who made that engine better uh, can tell us how we should live, how we should raise our children, what is ethical. He can tell me about installing a turbocharger or whatever. The unbeliever has axiom or first principles that are always anti-biblical, anti-God, anti-Christ. Consequently, their presuppositions are always rooted in unbelief and rebellion against God. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and in the process, Romans chapter 1, they create idols. <coughs> These, there are a number of macroevolutionary scientists who are open atheists or agnostics, who are somewhat honest and say evolutionary theory is in crisis. Because the more we learn about cells, and the more we learn how complex they are, and the more we learn about the fossil record and all these things, the more evolutionary theory looks ridiculous. They admit this. There's a video, it's on YouTube somewhere, where somebody uh, showed the complexity of a single cell in the human body, how complex it is. And it's like a nuclear submarine. It's so complex. The, the, amount, the number of things that go on. The idea that that evolved from dirt and water is simply impossible. But they have to believe it because they're suppressing the truth about God and unrighteousness. And they want to sin. 
They want human autonomy. They admit that intelligent design looks like it's true, but their presuppositions cause them to reject that view as impossible. And then fourth, they believe in the self-sufficiency and self-salvation of mankind. <clears throat> the history of mankind is, and I, I studied history uh, in philosophy in college. I have a degree in history and philosophy. And I studied a lot on my own. The history of mankind is one of wickedness, cruelty, warfare, conflict, racism, hatred, and crime. Sigmund Freud was so distressed at what he saw, how mankind behaved, and he's clearly an unbeliever, proposed that men are born with a death wish. He wrote that book right after World War I. In World War I, like the first nine months of World War I, 1914, over a million men were dead in like nine months. The secular humanist, his attempts to escape the dilemma of man's evil, crime, hate, violence, by both redefining evil, downward, and lawlessness, as well as positing a future self-salvation that, of course, never comes. Okay, homelessness, for example, the great promise of homelessness. Now, if you went to San Francisco or L.A. back, there might be a few people, a couple of winos out in the street who'd get arrested, but all these tent cities and the thousands and thousands of drug addicts, these people are drug addicts. And secular humanism says, well, no, they're victims. We can't do anything to them. No, they're, they're drug addicts. They're committing evil. You're supposed to work six days a week. You're not supposed to sit around and smoke crack all day or uh, shoot meth all day or heroin or fentanyl. You're supposed to work. But this victimology of secular humanism, they're accepted. And if you say that they should be removed, you're evil. Those on the left tell us that the problem is that pure socialism has not yet been attained. Others embrace nihilism and lawlessness as, the, as a good in itself. Human rights have morphed from being opposed to overt acts of racism and injustice. Martin Luther King, for example. Just treat me as a man. Don't treat me special. Just treat me as a regular man. Don't be racist against me. You know, let me eat here. Let me sit on the bus. Don't beat me up. Don't kill me. You know, that's racism. Be opposed to racism. Actual racism. And injustice to advocating racism and sexual perversion. That's the ethics of modern humanism. If you're against sexual perversion, if you believe in the Christian family, the nuclear family, you're a pervert. See how things have changed? And now, progressivism, the left, secular humanists, all advocate racism. They do. They're a bunch of racists. Secular humanism has borrowed, or should we say stolen, Christianity's concept of the dignity of man and the idea of progress and turned them into satanic perversions of the truth. We are told that autonomous human reason will bring us truth, progress, justice, but it has only resulted in the rise of statism, wars by status, and gross immorality. And I, I didn't want to get this too long. I, I left out quotes on the, how the Renaissance, the people that involved in the Renaissance, uh, homosexuality was rampant, sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, all these things became rampant among these people. Because if you don't believe in an infant personal God, you don't believe in the Ten Commandments, if you don't believe in an absolute law and a judgment to come, why not? Do whatever you want. Os Guinness explains, quote, It was true, and he's talking about a complacent smugness, also of secular atheism, with its reassured, assuring belief that reason and science was introducing a civilization that would expel all traces of barbarism, even from memory. The 20th century was anticipated eagerly as the fulfillment of these hopes. And general social stability gave credibility to this myth. 20th century upheavals have cruelly blown this apart. Hard on the heels of World War I came the Russian Revolution, followed by the Depression, and then World War II. With lightning speed, the three great European empires of Russia, Germany, and Austria disappeared, soon to be followed by the British Empire. With the emergence of communism and the acceleration of modern technology, explosive new forces were unleashed in the modern world. The very fabric of civilization seemed torn apart. It was at times like this when social eruption forced people to face the logic of their bankrupt base, 
that people accurately perceived the tenuousness of optimism's brave hold. If they were too optimistic in good times, they tended to be overly pessimistic in dark times. But these latter times are the moments of truth. All of this had been predicted by the Devil's Party. Nietzsche <coughs> saw modern Europe falling into the abyss. And uh, when I studied philosophy, the, the one I enjoyed reading the most was Nietzsche. Because although he's evil, and his presuppositions are evil, he's very honest in predicting what would happen when, when men abandoned God. He predicted it. He thought he didn't think that was a problem. In the 1880s, he prophetically warned of a new age of barbarism. Quote, there will be wars such as have never happened on earth. After World War I, a similar point was seized upon by Franz Kafka. Quote, the buttresses of human existence are collapsing. Historical development is no longer determined by the individual, but by the masses. We are shoved, rushed, swept away. We are the victims of history. End of quote. Any powerful social disruption, such as the two world wars, has the effect of tearing away the social fabric and exposing the reality beneath. In the case of Western society, the cancer revealed had already been diagnosed by the pessimistic humanists. End of quote. In 1951, the French existentialist, by no means a believer, Camus, wrote this. Quote, During the last century, man cast off the fetters of religion. Hardly was he free, however, when he created new and utterly intolerant chains. The kingdom of grace has been conquered, but the kingdom of justice has, has crumbled too. Europe is dying of this deception, end of quote. And then uh, we come to a new category here, the vanity of modern culture, following our text. I know it's a springboard. The casting off of God has not led to paradise, but rather vanity and the death of Christian culture. Now, we need to retrieve Christian culture. Christianity is not dead. Churches are, biblical churches are out there. And it's spreading slowly. But it, it does not hold the reins of society currently. So let us briefly note the reasons why uh, this modern culture is vain. Number one. If there is nothing above man, and man is... is a speck in a chance universe that came about by chance, then ethics are destroyed by for relativism uh, and positivistic law. Positivistic law simply means men make it up. Somebody asked uh, one of the Supreme Court justices in the 1930s, uh, what determines law in your country? And he said the majority of vote of the Supreme Court. Whoever has the votes makes the laws. That's very arbitrary. That's called positivistic law. One year it's illegal to murder your baby, unborn baby. The next year it's fully legal. One year it's grossly perverted and immoral to get for two sodomites to get married or two lesbians to get married. Uh, the next year it's perfectly legal and it's good. And if you say anything against it, you should be uh, destroyed. The theory of evolution has completely destroyed the old Enlightenment view of natural law or the Greek idea that absolutes exist out there in the realm of ideals for men to discover. The older philosophers, the older pagans, actually, I believe, were more, uh, were, were brighter than the modern secular humanists because they understood that if you don't have some realm of ideals, some absolute somewhere, then there can be no meaning, there can be no ethics. Dostoevsky said, if God is dead, quote, everything is permitted. Nietzsche, the most consistent secular humanist, said, quote, the advantage of our times is nothing is true, therefore everything is permitted. And this, of course, follows the satanic creed of Aleister Crowley, do what thou wilt, do whatever you want. There is no truth, there is no meaning, there is no justice, there is no judgment. Do whatever you want, do it. If it feels good, do it. Remember that phrase? If it feels good, do it. That's the 1960s. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Jim Morrison, you know, would frequently say in concerts, you know, do whatever you want, man. You do whatever you want. You determine the truth, man. If there is no court of appeal above man, then man simply makes it up as he goes along. Man is his own God. This philosophy where biblical Christianity is rejected for a purely positivistic law is clearly connected to the rise of Marxism, socialism, fascism, and modern totalitarianism. The great slaughter of the 20th century came directly out of this thinking. Number two. 
in a purely materialistic universe, a chance universe, life has no real, uh, no real purpose or meaning. Therefore, people try to find meaning either in mysticism and the occult or in some form of political activism. Socialism or statism is the religion of the left. It's simply a religion. It's not founded upon fact at all. They believe in and they hold uh, many things that are not only unprovable and irrational, but which have failed 100% of the time. They have been tried in history. Socialism or communism has been a complete and utter disaster every time it's been tried for over 150 years. And you could even go back to the Puritan experiment with socialism when they first landed and uh, they were starving to death because socialism doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But that doesn't stop them. The truth doesn't stop them. They cannot embrace the truth and admit they are wrong because if they do so, they would lose their religion and they would become alienated. Without God, Jesus Christ and the Bible as our foundation, man experiences metaphysical, spiritual, ontological, and epistemological alienation. Without real purpose and meaning, people flock to narcissism and hedonism. <clears throat> the family's dying out in Europe, in America, in Russia, all these places. People aren't reproducing themselves. They're not even reproducing themselves. They're, they're declining. And the answer is, if you don't believe in the Bible, if you don't believe in the kingdom of God and Christ and the building a Christian future and a Christian civilization, what's the point of having kids? They're, they're, they're expensive. They take a ton of your time. They require great sacrifice. And sometimes they don't even, when they grow up, they don't even respect you. They don't even like you. So people aren't just simply, they're having pets or they have one child. The family is dying out in Western culture because children require sacrifice and a great deal of money. In a chance, meaningless universe, why consider the future? One must have as much fun as possible now. Alienation is an inevitable consequence of secular humanism. Suicides among young people have risen dramatically in the last 40 years. And that's sad. It's tragic. People need Christ. And then number three. <clears throat> the exaltation and worship of man has resulted in a blind, irrational faith in man. There is either a faith in the state or in the scientific experts or in the will of the majority. <clears throat> this faith, as history has shown, results in a great injustice and oppression. That's why we don't believe in democracy. We don't believe in a pure democracy. We believe in republicanism. We believe, yes, the people, citizens, that is male property owners, not, not women, <laughs> male property owners have the right to vote. They have to be property owners. They have to have a stake in society. They can't be on welfare or leeches. Uh, they have a right to vote, but they can only vote according to the Constitution, which should be uh, the person running for office has to submit to the word of God and biblical law. Not raw democracy, where, like California, we're going to vote. Do you think homosexual marriage is good or not? Do you think it's okay to have anal sex or not? That's not, that's wrong. If the majority of people think that something wrong is good and they vote for it, that doesn't make it right. Only God can make something right or wrong. The idolatry of, mo of modern man, of course, comes with its own sanctions, political, economic, wars, pandemics, etc., over 100 million people were murdered in the last century by humanistic idolaters, by statists. Over 100 million. Way, way more than Roman Catholic, corrupt Roman Catholics killed over a period of 1,500 years. The Catholics murdered in the thousands. The humanists murdered in the many, multiple millions. So what is the solution? Well, the only solution is to believe in and worship Jesus Christ as God. The only solution is to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we need to be changed from the inside out, not from the outside in. There needs to be a regeneration in the heart by the Holy Spirit, belief in the word of God, submission to the word of God, and then 
social sanctification by adopting the law of God. The kingdom of grace is the solution. And the Bible applies to every area of life. The individual, the family, obviously, the church, obviously, but also the state, but also the capitalist, the, the property owner, the corporation. There's nothing wrong with free market economics as long as people follow biblical law. When people don't follow biblical law, they sell their souls to China and people who are murdering other people for a buck. We need Christian capitalism, not simply uh, capitalism by evil people. It doesn't matter how good uh, free market economics is if the people running it are evil and they're willing to lie and they're willing to work and support communists and status who murder people. We have to have free market economics under biblical law. That's our hope. But we need to first all to embrace Jesus Christ. So this is my response to what's going on in the Ukraine. Putin is simply being a consistent secular humanist. He defines what's right and wrong. He says there that the Ukrainians are Nazis and fascists. They have to be removed, even though they elected a Jewish leader by over 70% of the vote. Uh, is insanity. And Putin and Russia should be defeated. So let's pray for that. Let's pray for that. But we all need to go to Christ. That's the solution for everything. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've revealed these things to us. We have hope in the future. We know that you will save our nation someday through Christ as men bow the knee to him and believe the gospel. So bring it to pass, Lord. Help us get through these trying times when we're ruled by people who are totally immoral and act insane. So help us. Help your church. In Jesus' name, amen.